Will you all bow your heads with me? Dear God, we come before you as the one who truly is on the throne. Lord, there are times when we doubt that. There are times when we suspect that you have vanished from your throne, Lord. But we know that you are much bigger than what we can see right before us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would come here and by faith we would trust that you are in control. And in that, Lord, we would trust that what you have for us today in your scriptures would, uh, would be beneficial for us, Lord. I pray that we would humble ourselves before your word as we humble ourselves before you. I pray that we might be open to the possibility that your word can indeed bring change in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will never forget this day when my mom went to the door and opened the door and picked up the newspaper that had just been delivered. This in and of itself was not unusual. We subscribed to the Laramie Daily Boomerang. I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming. We subscribed to that newspaper my whole life. It was really the only newspaper you could subscribe to in Laramie, Wyoming. But as that wasn't unusual that she was picking up the newspaper. Uh, but she, she picked it up and, and she pulled it out of the plastic sleeve, which we all know about around here because of the snow and whatnot, except for in Wyoming, they pretty much leave the sleeve on year-round. I mean, there's just no, there's no way you're not going to have snow. And uh, so she, she pulled, it out of the, pulled it out of the sleeve, and as she opened it up, there was a picture in full color. Now, this uh, may not sound significant to you, but it is significant that this picture was in, in full color because in the Laramie Daily Boomerang, uh, the majority of the pictures, other than the paid advertisements, are all in black and white. So if you, if you go to somebody's house, and this would happen, you go to the house, and, and they've cut out a picture from the newspaper and they've put it up on their refrigerator, 99 out of 100 times, it's in black and white. If it's in color, you know it's special you know it's a very special picture because the only picture in the Laramie Daily Boomerang that is in color is the front page. So if it's in color, you know that picture was on the front page of the newspaper. And on this particular day, I think somewhere around 1988, somewhere in the late 80s, uh, my mom opened up the paper and there in full color on the front of the newspaper was a picture of me. And I just remember thinking to myself, I remember thinking, I'm famous. I'm famous. Everybody is, everybody's going to know my name. And I remember going to school the next day, and, and sure enough, the, the teachers and, and different, uh, different students were coming up. I mean, there's nothing to do except read the Laramie Daily Boomerang. So, so everybody knew, and everybody's telling me, oh, we saw your picture in the paper. We saw your name in the paper. They even spelled it right, uh, which never happened. And so there it was. There I am thinking to myself, I'm, I'm famous. And that particular experience, I think, points to a universal reality. And that is that every single one of us wants to make a name for ourselves. Right? Every single one of us, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want our name to be remembered. We want to be recognized. Right? Even, even when we say we don't, right? This is true. Even when we say we don't. 
right? You're like, no, I, I hate it when I get recognized. I hate it when, I, when people appreciate me. I, I get really nervous when they say my name in front of other people. Okay, maybe that's true, but you know as well as I do that if they don't do that, you feel slighted. You feel taken advantage of. You feel unappreciated. Right? So, so even in the smallest sense, every single one of us, we want to make a name for ourselves. If you are a business person, you, you want to make a name for yourself in, in business. You, you want, when people think, when somebody is thinking to themselves, do I know someone who is successful in business, you hope that your name is what pops up in their mind. Right? If you are a, if you are a musician, if you are a singer, and somebody is looking for someone to sing in a wedding, you hope, in their wedding, you hope that, that your name is what comes up in their mind. You hope that they, that they think of you. Right? If you're, uh, if, if you're a teacher, uh, you, you hope that, that when people are voting for teacher of the month, teacher of the year, you, you secretly hope that, that they vote for, for your name. Right? Every, everybody, wants, everybody wants to make a name for themselves. Even this, even as parents. Even as parents, right? You, if, 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 a, if a new couple has children and they're trying to figure out how to raise their kids and they're trying to look for an example of who should we call because this is totally not working at all for us. Who do we know that was a great, did a great job being parents? Right? If you have kids, you secretly hope that they think of your name. Right? No, no matter what it is, even in church, right, you hope that people will remember your name. You are a person who worked hard, served in the church. You, you hope that people will think of your name. Even uh, maybe, uh, maybe what's very important to you in terms of making your name is your moral integrity. Right? When people think of, well, who's somebody who you can count on to, to, to not waver in, in terms of their moral integrity, you hope that they think of you. And if somebody attacks your moral integrity, it's devastating, right? Because this is the area in which you want your name to be known. You see, every single one of us, in some small, some grand way, we want to make a name for ourselves. And that's what I love about this passage, actually, because this passage tells us how to make a name for ourselves. It's true. If you are here today and you're thinking, boy, how can I make a name for myself? You know, I, you're frustrated because you just came up with a, you know, a vaccine, the polio vaccine, uh, but, but unfortunately Jonas Salk already beat you to it, so you can't make your name there. Right? You have this great idea for a, for a phone that, that's also a computer. Sorry, you've already been beat on that one. So what can you do? How can you make a name for yourself? Well, this passage actually teaches us how to make a name for ourselves because what we find in this passage is an individual who makes a name for himself. Boaz makes a name for himself. Look at this. We we see this in verse 11. The people in the town of Bethlehem, they're hoping, they're praying, they're pouring a blessing on him that he will become famous, right? We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel, may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Now they're hoping that that, that he will be a man whose name will be remembered and recognized. And then actually we see that that's exactly what happens. You go on and read at the end of this book, the, the genealogy here, this genealogy of David in verse 
21, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Boaz is a man who makes a name for himself. This genealogy, this isn't the only place where Boaz's name pops up. This, it pops up in the, in the book of First Chronicles, First Kings. It pops up in the book of Matthew, in the book of Luke. I mean, I'd say if your name pops up in four books of the Bible, and there might even be more, I didn't actually look, I'd say you've made a name for yourself. I mean, and let's not forget just this book here. I mean, this book, it, it's called Ruth, but, but we all know that the, the, really the hero of this story, the human hero, is, is Boaz. How many guys uh, get to have an entire book that's really about their heroics? I mean, this is a man who has made a name for himself. The question is, how does he do it? How does he make a name for himself? And from that, how can we glean how we can make a name for ourselves? The answer here is in verses 9 and 10. Boaz announced to the elders and the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Notice this. How does Boaz make a name for himself? He makes a name for himself by giving up his name. Boaz makes a name for himself by saying, you know what, it's not going to be about me getting my name lifted up. I'm going to exert my energies, not lifting up my name. I'm going to exert my energies, lifting up the name of somebody else. Let's remember the, the context here, right? We're, we're finishing up our series on the book of Ruth. We're going to finish, well, not this week, but next week, spending a little bit of time in chapter 4 because there's so much here. And for those of you who maybe weren't here, let's, let me just remind you sort of what's happened. We have these, these two women, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law, and they were away in Moab, and both of their husbands died. And they come back to Bethlehem, they're childless widows, and so Ruth is looking to get married because, well, they need somebody to take care of them. In that culture, if you were a woman and you weren't married, it was very difficult for you to be able to provide for yourself. So they needed somebody to come and, and, and to marry Ruth and, and to take care of them. Uh, but also, there was this significant uh, a custom within the people of Israel, and that is that you needed to pass on your family name. And because Ruth, uh, because Ruth's husband had passed away before they had any children, there was no child to pass on the family name. So, and within the people of Israel, this, this was a tragedy. As a man, you wanted your name to be passed on. And so they have this custom, the custom of the kinsman redeemer, where they look for somebody who is a close relative to come, and a close relative of the deceased husband will come and marry the deceased widow and have children with her so that the deceased's uh, name can pass along. So the, the name of the child that they have is going to have the name of the deceased husband. And so this was, this was, the, this was how it worked. And so Boaz is willing to do this. 
Boaz is willing to say, I will marry you, Ruth, and we will have a child, and that child will carry on the name of your deceased husband. Right? We saw this. We saw the sacrifice that Boaz is willing to make because not only does he marry her, but the, the biggest issue was, one of the bigger issues is that he buys this property that was with, within the family. And so really what's happening is he's buying this property, which then ultimately is not going to be his. He buys it, then he's going to have a child through Ruth, and then that child gets to inherit the land in the name of his mother's dead husband. You with me? You following me here? It's a little bit little bit confusing. And so we saw this sacrifice that Boaz was willing to make. But what we see here is that what he's really willing to give up is his name. He's willing to say, I forsake this. You see, uh, if, if he does this, right, and one of the problems, well, one of the difficulties that he's going to face with Ruth is, as, as we know, she has already had difficulty having children. She's probably getting older as it is. And so if she has a child, she's probably not going to have more than one. That's how they're probably thinking, right? He's probably not going to have more than one child. So this is, this is really not good for him because if he marries her and they have a child, then he loses his name and she's probably not going to give him another child to pass on his name. So he's willing to say, okay, I'm willing to give up my name. I'm willing to take that risk in order to lift up this other man's name. And we see that God honors this faithfulness. We see actually that God honors this faithfulness to the point where it actually seems like God's providence goes against this whole custom. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. When we look at this genealogy, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, wait a minute. Shouldn't it be Malon, the father of Obed? I mean, wasn't that the whole point of the kinsman redeemer? That's the whole point, is that you, you pass on his name. But here in this genealogy, it goes right over this custom. What God is saying is that your faithfulness, I will reward that. You were willing to give up your name. Because you did that, your name is actually lifted up. Notice the difference here, then, between... Boaz and the original kinsman redeemer. Remember, as the story goes, Boaz isn't actually the closest relative to the deceased husband, to Malon. There's, there's somebody else. So they go to him and they say, will you, will you be the kinsman redeemer? Will you redeem the property? First, they put it in terms of the property that needs to be purchased. And the man says, yes, he's willing to do this. And actually, if you think about it, when it's first proposed to him, when he doesn't know about Ruth and all of that, he's probably just thinking to himself, well, if I redeem this property, then I get it. And then if I have a child through another wife, whoever I marry or whatever his situation is, then my name will be passed on to that land that I just purchased. So he's thinking to himself, well, actually, this is a great way for me to pass my name on. But then he discovers, oh, no, the land also comes with Ruth. And if you're going to take the land, then you've, you've got to be the husband of Ruth. You've got to have a child through her. You've got to pass on somebody else's name. And that's the point where he, he pulls out. And you see the irony here. You see, this is a man who's trying to promote his name. The greatest irony of this, irony of this book is, guess what? The author does not tell us what his name is. You notice that? We, we don't know what his name is. And so this man, in an attempt to elevate his name, God says, no, we're not even going to tell these people who you are. But Boaz, who's willing to give up his name, 
his name is lifted up. We see this in Boaz. Actually, just as a side note, we can say that the same thing occurs with Ruth. Ruth similarly is willing to give up her name. She was in Moab. She was in a place where everybody would have known her name. Everybody in Moab would have known her name, and, but she was willing to come to Bethlehem to support her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's coming to a place where nobody knows her name. Sometimes she's simply referred to as the Moabitess. But she's willing to give up her name, and guess what? She's got a whole book of the Bible named after her. I'd say that's pretty good. So we see this principle emerging, this kingdom principle. That the way you make a name for yourself is by giving up your name. By not seeking to raise and elevate your name. We see this in Ruth. We see this in Boaz. And then, of course, we see this most profoundly in Jesus himself. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. This is on page 1,162 of your pew Bibles. You can turn, that, turn there if you like. And what we're going to discover here is that, okay, now we see why this principle works, because we see in the very nature of God himself this principle. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God... Now, I have to pause here for a minute. I I do this pretty much every time I come to this passage. I think it's important. Here we find in verse 6, Jesus, who being in very nature God. Right here in the book of Philippians, it is clearly communicating that Jesus is more than a man. He's somehow divine. Now, this is significant because there's a lot of a scholarly work, a skeptical scholarly work in the last 100, 200 years, that has tried to say that this whole idea that Jesus is divine was made up later on in church history. That the early Christians did not believe that Jesus was divine, and it was something that later on as the church rolled around, then they kind of developed this whole idea that he's divine. Now, it is certainly true that in the subsequent 300, 400 years since the time of Christ, it's certainly true that the church debated and discussed, sometimes rather violently, uh, how to tease out. How do you describe this? How do you put into words what it means that, that Jesus is both fully man and fully God? How do you even find the language to do that? There's no doubt. They, they debated and they teased and it, it, it went back and forth for, for centuries. But we see right from the beginning that this idea was there. In fact, the, the book of Philippians is one of the earliest writings that we have. We, we know that it was written, and this is, this is, whether you're a liberal or a conservative scholar, they would pretty much all agree that this would have been written sometime in the 50s, so uh, 20 years after the death of Jesus. No more than that, something around there. And on top of that, notice what's happening here. It seems like what Paul is doing is actually quoting from a hymn. It's quite likely he's quoting from a hymn that was already in existence. It had already become a tradition. So here's Paul writing the book of Philippians only 20 years after the death of Jesus, and already they have a tradition of singing about the the divine nature of Jesus. So that's a little aside. Right from the beginning here, we see this belief that in Jesus we find the very embodiment of God, that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's really at the heart of what it means to believe Christianly is to say, well, what is God like? Well, look at Jesus. And what do we find when we look at Jesus? 
Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That word grasped is another tough one to translate. Sometimes it's translated even as exploited. That equality with God is not something to be exploited. Again, what we're seeing here is that his divine nature is not something to, well, use for his own advantage. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see at the very nature of who God is himself, this principle, the way that God makes a name for himself as if he needed to do anything. The way God makes a name for himself is by giving up his name. It's at the very core of who he is. And that means that this is a principle under which, on which his entire kingdom is based. So here's the point. We, as Christians, as those who seek to operate by the values of the kingdom of God, we see that this is the principle by which it works. The kingdom of God operates under this principle that if you want to make a name for yourself, the way you do it is by giving up your name. You see, this is very different. You say the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. How does the kingdom of this world operate? Well, the way the kingdom of this world operates is if you want to make a name for yourself, well, you better lift up your name. Right? That's how the kingdom of the world works. That's how you lift up your name is by lifting up your name. Name, But at the very heart of the Christian belief is that because Jesus rose from the grave, that he is Lord, that he is king, that he is ruler over all things. And it's only a matter of time until that works its way out. And so if you want to be on the winning side, you want to be on the side of the kingdom of God. You know, it's a little bit like this. Uh, imagine that you worked in the White House. Uh, I have two friends, ironically enough, who have served in the White House. One served under the Bush administration, and another friend of mine now is serving in the Obama administration. I, I'd really like to get the two of them together for dinner. I'm not sure that they've ever met. I'd just love to watch and just kind of see what happens. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you that you work in the White House, and and we won't use Bush and Obama, that's way too contentious, you'll all get distracted. But let's just say, let's just say that you are uh, working in the uh, White House under a Republican candidate, a Republican president, we'll even say he has Tea Party sympathies, okay? So you're you're working under a, a Republican president who's all about cutting taxes, and so that you're singing that song, I mean, you are singing that song in everything that you do, Cut taxes, cut taxes, cut taxes. And then what happens? Well, a Democrat gets elected president. Now, what are you going to do if you want to keep your job in the White House? It doesn't really work that way. They actually just do a complete overhaul. But let's just imagine here for a moment that you could actually keep your job. I think you might have to start singing a different tune. 
I think you might have to start operating by a different principle. The resurrection of Jesus says there is a new king. And you need to start operating by a very different principle. The old principle was you want to make a name for yourself, you lift up your name. Under the new regime, the way you make a name for yourself is by giving up your name. This is what it means to be in Christ. Let me read to you from Romans Romans chapter 6. Listen to this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is what it means to be in Christ. This is, this is what baptism is all about. This summer, I'm hoping that we will do another baptism service. And if you are interested in baptism, please, please talk to me. If you have questions about it, baptism is one of those things where there are so many misconceptions out there about baptism that I'm sure you, you might have questions about it. One of, the, one of the things that I often hear, or if I pull it out of people, usually they don't just volunteer this, is, is that one of the reasons why people don't want to get baptized is honestly because it's embarrassing. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. I mean, the way we do it, I mean, we don't mess around, folks. I mean, you're getting wet. You get baptized, right? And, and really, let's think about what this is. You, you take a bath in front of a bunch of people. I mean, that's embarrassing. That's humiliating. I, I, I get that. But, but here's the thing. That's the point. That's the whole point. I mean, not to humiliate you, but that you go into it saying, I'm going to humble myself. This, this isn't about my name. This isn't about my reputation. It isn't about what people are going to think of who I am. I give all of that up. I humble myself. I humble myself as Christ humbled himself. And when I am baptized into his death, then I am also baptized into his, his resurrection. If I am united with him in his death, I'm united with him in his resurrection, another way of saying this is that when we give up our name because we trust in Jesus, we take on his name. We take on his reputation. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's saying, I'm gone. <laughs> my desire to seek my reputation, that, that, that's, that's all gone. My name is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And, and, and let's think about this for a minute. What is, I think, the primary reason why we seek to elevate our name? And the reason is because that's where we find our worth and our value. The reason why you want to make a name for yourself is you think to yourself, well, if I don't make a name for myself, then I'm not really worth anything. Where is my value? Where is my worth? At the very heart of the gospel is that if you humble yourself before Christ Jesus, if you are united with him, then you take on his worth, his reputation. That no matter what you have done, 
no matter how uh, bad your reputation is, no matter how distorted it is, no matter what people think of you, no matter how terribly you've lived, maybe you have the worst reputation in the world, when you come and you are baptized into the life of Jesus, you take on his reputation, you take on his value, you take on his worth. It's what it means to be a Christian. Christian literally just means little Christ. You're a little Christ. You take on his worth. You take on his value. You take on his reputation. How do you make a name for yourself? You make a name for yourself by giving up your name and taking on the name of Christ. And in that, you are elevated. I I think it's interesting because even when you look at, at Boaz, really what's happening here, he's really taking on the name of King David. He's been incorporated into King David because basically any time, I don't know about any time, but I think it is every time, most of the time at least, if you see the name of Boaz in the Bible, it's always in conjunction with David. Right? He, he, his fame is because, well, he, it's really pointing to a greater fame. Every time you see Boaz, it's his name pointing to a greater name. He's lifting up the name of, of David who foreshadows the coming of Christ, the ultimate David, the true Messiah. And so you see, the way we make a name for ourselves is really you ride the coattails of Jesus. Boaz is riding the coattails of David. We ride the coattails of Jesus. Our name is lifted up only because we are putting up his name. How do you make a name for yourself? You make a name for yourself by giving up your name. What does this look like practically? In the workplace, you make a name for yourself by lifting up the names of your coworkers. Right, this is what Boaz does. He lifts up the name of the deceased. You make a name for yourself by not seeking your own reputation, but by lifting up their names. They, they, you're just as happy if, if they get recognized for something, just as happy if they get promoted Right? You, you lift up their name, and the more you do this, the more you lift up their name, the name of Christ will be lifted up, because ultimately they're going to say, why are you doing this? Why are you consistently putting me before you in everything? Why are you doing this? And they say, well, let me tell you why I'm doing this. It's to lift up the name of Jesus, because he did this for me. Right? If, if, you're, a, if you're a teacher... If you're a pastor, if you're a teacher in Sunday school, or, or you, you work in the school district, the way you make a name for yourself is, is by lifting up the names of your students and your coworkers. That, that you actually, you're more concerned about, about whether or not your students succeed. You just want them to succeed. You want to see their names lifted up because of what you've done in their lives. Now, now they are succeeding and their names are lifted up. You're not interested in whether or not you get teacher of the year. You'd be just as happy for your coworker to get that, to lift up his or her name. If you're a parent, think of it this way. How do you lift up, how do you lift up your name as a parent? Well, it's by lifting up the name of your children. Now that may sound kind of obvious, but let me just kind of give you a test. Here's how you know if you are really giving up your name in parenting. Here's how you can tell. If your child gets in trouble, 
If your child, let's just use a random example. Let's say that your son, and let's just say you happen to live in Laramie, Wyoming, and let's just say that when he's six years old, he happens to bite a chunk of skin out of the arm of Susanna Nagel. Let's just assume something like that happens. And the principal calls you, says your son just bit a chunk of skin out of a girl's arm. What is your initial reaction? Is it, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to think of me as a parent? The child comes home. You've brought shame on the family. You have disrespected the family. Do you see what's going on here? Your parenting is about lifting up your name. It's about your name being exalted. Now, if your response is, oh my gosh, I've got to work with my kid. This is not going to work for him. If he keeps biting people, he's never going to make a name for himself. He's never going to succeed. This is never going to work. Your focus is entirely on, on helping to make sure your kid doesn't bite anybody. But it's not so that your name can be lifted up. So that your child can succeed and, and, and they can lift, their name can be lifted up. In the church... What does it look like to give up your name? The church can be a place where people try to lift up their own name. Fortunately, I think it's becoming less and less the case. Uh, as religious institutions, I say, lose their respect in our culture, I think it's less and less the case. I think that in previous decades, and previous centuries, if you were a pastor or an elder or a deacon in a church, then there was a lot of respect in the community. Your, your name was lifted up, right? It's, it's becoming less that way. Of course, there are all kinds of negative uh, reasons for this, but I think there's something very positive about that. And that's that hopefully, increasingly, the only people will seek to serve in the church will not be people who are trying to lift up their name. They're not in it to be, to be recognized. They're in it to serve. They're in it to lift up the name of Jesus. As we move into this next phase of our church's life, that's what we're looking for, for people in our church, people who will come and serve as leaders, and they will come not to lift up their own name, but to give up their name that ultimately the name of Christ might be exalted. How do you lift up your name? You lift up your name by giving it up for the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you We praise you that you are a God who has humbled yourself. You died on a cross, you experience true humiliation that we might be lifted up. Lord, I pray that in response we would do the same. I pray that each one of us would see that our worth and our value is in you. That when we profess faith in you, our past is wiped clean and our worth and our value and our reputation is now staked in you. That we would be freed of the things of our past And Lord, we would seek to lift you up by lifting up the names of others. Praise it in Jesus' name. Amen.